Texas Wine Club blind tastes and rates hundreds of Texas wines each month, and only the best of the best make it into the club shipments. It's the wine club that everybody's talking about. You can attend one of the wine experiences that are happening around the state to learn more. I'm teaching the ones in Dallas. I've got dates in July and August on the calendar, so check those out. Or if you're ready to sign up, visit TXWine.com and use the code ThisIsTexasWine to get $100 off your first shipment. There are options for 3, 6, and 12 bottle membership tiers and more great benefits like free tasting certificates at the wineries that are part of the club. Get the scoop on Texas Wine Club at TXWine.com and use the code ThisIsTexasWine. Welcome to This Is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 66. My guest, Evan McKibben, wants nothing more than to share the stories of the vineyard with Texas wine drinkers. He spent a bit of time in the vineyard from his early career days founding Red Caboose Winery with his dad. He spent formative years at William Chris, and now he's the vineyard manager at Pedernales Cellars Culkin Vineyards, just north of Fredericksburg. In our interview, you'll hear all about his educational offerings, his wine brand called Broken Grape, and his farming philosophy. But first, the Texas wine news, and there's a lot this month. People are on the move. And the national spotlight is shining on a number of wines and wine regions in Texas. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm recording this in late June in Texas, and that means harvest has started in a few places. I've seen some Blanc du Bois already harvested from down in the Gulf Coast region. The state is heating up, and it's about to get really exciting in the next month or so. Texas winemakers are on the move now more than at any other time in the past several years. Here's a rundown of some of the new hires and people who are changing roles. Benedict Ryan is no longer making wine at Coleman Cellars. She's taking custom crush clients and will be working out of the Untamed Wine Estates facility in collaboration with Dane and Mackenzie Sanvito. She'll also be creating her own wine brand, Ryan Wines, as the legacy to her family. Benny will also be continuing to provide lab services and teaching and mentoring young winemakers. Coleman has hired Zachary Rains, who joins them with over 20 years of winemaking experience in Paso Robles. Seth Urbanek has left Wedding Oak, where he was the general manager and winemaker. He's now the director of wine projects at William Chris Wine Company, where he will be working on developing a traditional method sparkling wine production facility, among other projects. Wedding Oak has hired a new winemaker, Van Johnson, who was previously the cellar master at Coleman. Rachel Fanning is the new head winemaker at Augusta Venn. She was previously the enologist at Becker Vineyards, and she was in that role for about 10 years. The new enologist at Becker is Remy Emler. She was most recently the assistant winemaker at Coleman. Todd Webster left Brennan Vineyards, and the new Brennan winemaker is Kevin Spivey. VinePair shared an infographic and article listing the states with the most wineries in 2023. 
Texas shows up at number three, inching out Oregon by just a few dozen wineries. California and Washington are numbers one and two, of course. The article says, States with emerging wine regions like Michigan, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Texas have seen a boom in winery openings, and the state that shows the most impressive growth is Texas, gaining 382 wineries since 2017, with 89 of them opening after 2021. So VinePair lists the number of wineries in Texas at 959. Well, we know that's a bit high because that's actually the number of G permits that have been issued. And in fact, those aren't all actually wineries. But we presume that all the other states' numbers are inflated as well. This is the first time that I've seen Texas take that number three spot. Usually we fall in behind Oregon at a minimum. The American Association for Enology and Viticulture Eastern Section covers grape growing and winemaking regions from Texas to Minnesota, Colorado to Maine, and Maine to Florida. And their annual conference always attracts researchers, educators, and students, as well as growers and winemakers. And this year, the conference took place in Austin. Attendees spent the first day of the conference visiting wineries. They went to Heath Sparkling Wine, William Chris, and Slate Theory. Dr. Andrea Bodizatu, or Dr. B, as we like to call her, is the Assistant Professor and Extension Enologist Specialist at Texas A&M AgriLife, and she was one of the speakers, and she talked about the technical and economic consideration of using verjus as a wine acidifier. Also, congratulations to Fritz Westover, who won the 2023 Distinguished Service Award at the conference. He's the owner of Westover Vineyard Advising, which is based in Houston, and the founder of Virtual Viticulture Academy. He works with vineyard owners and managers all across Texas and in several other states and countries as well. And by the way, Fritz has a podcast about viticulture. It's called Vineyard Underground, so check that out. Tina Dance from the Dallas Morning News wrote an article called Four Texas Wines, Beers, and Ciders We're Drinking This Summer, and two of the four are actually Texas wines. The first is the Bending Branch Tanat Frizzante Rosé from 2022. She gives a nod to the grape Tanat, and she says, In a stroke of genius, Bending Branch makes this lightly effervescent rosé using its signature Tanat, grown in the Texas Hill Country. Tanat makes for a more structured rosé, bursting with wild strawberry flavor, and carbonation adds just enough bubbles to make it a crowd pleaser. The next wine that was included is the Austin Winery's Pet Nat from 2022, and this was made from grapes from the Texas High Plains, and she says this naturally sparkling rosé is more polished than most Pet Nat wines. It's a blend of 87% Mouved from Crooked Post Vineyards and 13% Malvasia Bianca from Nogalera Estate. She says it's complex yet fun and easy drinking. The wine's tart cranberry, wildberry, and melon notes are backed by a saline minerality. You don't have to be into natural wines to appreciate this special sparkler. Decanter World Wine Awards released the results of the 2023 competition, and the press release specifically noted that a Texas red wine made from Alianico won silver. It was the Uplift Vineyards Alianico from 2020, Only 265 wines from the U.S. won medals in that competition. 
Southern Living Magazine just published four small Texas towns that go big on wine. Can you guess what the towns are? How about Fredericksburg, Lubbock, Fort Davis, and Grapevine? I'm guessing most folks listening know what orange wine is, basically leaving white wines on the skins for a while, which imparts some additional color and flavor. Vine Pear has just released the 15 best orange wines for 2023, and a Texas wine is on the list. It's the CL Buto 2021 Ramado. The write-up says, Randy and Brooke Hester are killing it in their native Texas. They spent time in Napa learning all things wine, and it sure is paying off in the Lone Star State. Today, they produce a wide range of wines that continue to impress. And they talk about how this wine is made from Pinot Grigio. And while this style isn't necessarily popular in Texas, this wine works. The nose is similar to a rosé. And the palate is more about texture than flavor, but it's very balanced. They say the fruit is mild, but the structure is so damn balanced that it doesn't matter. Good stuff. Texas Wine Lover recently put on a Tempranillo tasting that was attended by 18 industry professionals. They tasted through 39 Tempranillo wines supplied by Texas wineries. And the top five Texas Tempranillos from their tasting included the Ron Yates 2019 Tempranillo from Friesen Vineyards in the Texas High Plains, the 4R Ranch Vineyards and Wineries 2021 Tempranillo, Adelphos Cellars 2020 Tempranillo from the High Plains, the Brennan Vineyards 2018 Tempranillo, and the Pedernales Cellars 2019 Tempranillo Reserve. Next, they'll be tasting Alianico, so if you have some to submit, be sure to get in touch with Amy Nimick or Jeff Cope. Now, this is sad news to share, but Vintner's Hideaway, the Fredericksburg Tasting Room, will be closing. Wine club members and vendors were notified that Jim and Renee Mills have decided that it's time to semi-retire and to have more time with their grandkids. The Rustic Spur brand will continue, of course, Shara Mills says, and will soon be starting a wine club. They'll be pouring at festivals and the like, but they won't have that tasting room there in Fredericksburg. You can watch their social media posts for more information about winding down the business. On the last episode, I mentioned that a recent Vine Pair article named the 30 Best Rosé Wines of 2023, and I said that the William Chris Vineyards Mouvedre Rosé from Leahy Vineyards came in at number 20. What I failed to mention, because I didn't actually read the rest of the list, was that Slate Theory also had a rosé on the list, and that was the 2022 Slate Theory Nebbiolo Rosé, which was listed at number 11. In the write-up, Vine Pear says that Texas is experimenting with a lot of different varieties and styles right now with great success. But somehow, this rosé of Nebbiolo from the Texas High Plains still took us by surprise. Its aromas are undeniably Nebbiolo, with notes of rose petals, wild strawberries, and raspberries. On the palate, the wine provides a juicy profile with watermelon, rose water, and a slightly candied flavor of Cherry Jolly Rancher. If you're still not convinced on Texas wines, this one is definitely worth seeking out. So it turns out Slate Theory had sent me a bottle of this wine a few months ago, but I had yet to taste it. And so the other day I set up a blind tasting of several Texas rosés with a friend and we tasted through some of the current releases of Texas rosés. And this one was our favorite. And I'm not just saying that because I feel bad for leaving them out before. 
I've also just unboxed the William Chris Vineyards Rosé that was included on the list, and I'm excited to try that one soon. So I'll give myself a demerit for not reading the whole list, and also a gold star to Vine Pear for including not just one, but two Texas rosés in their best rosé article. Also, y'all, please do me a favor and either tag me in your social media posts that contain wine news that you want shared, or send me an email with the details. And please add texaswinepod at gmail.com to any press releases that you send. To get information for this news section, I rely primarily on a Google alert for Texas Wine Stories, and there are a few publicists that keep me in the loop. And then I do my best to scour social media for exciting releases, but I don't see it all. Soon I'll be sharing Texas Wine News with an even broader audience, because starting soon I'll be working with the Fredericksburg Standard Newspaper on a new feature to share Hill Country wine news in the newspaper. I've just returned from New York, where I was one of the judges at the Finger Lakes International Wine Competition, and this was my second year to go up for that competition, and this year was even better. Finger Lakes should definitely be on your radar, the wine competition and the region as a whole. The winners were just announced, and Pedernales Cellars was the biggest winner from Texas, They won two double golds for their 2021 Texas Tempranillo and the 2020 Reserve Tempranillo. Ron Yates, Spicewood, and Solaro Estate also won golds, and there were a slew of silvers and bronzes. From my time at the wine competition, there were a lot of highlights. Just like last year, I tasted so many hybrids, and they were different hybrids than what we grow in Texas. My panel got to pick the best-of-show red and white hybrids from all of the gold medal-winning hybrids, so I really got to taste a bunch of excellent examples of hybrid grapes and a lot of different varieties and different blends. And the best-of-show hybrids ended up being from Virginia, by the way. I also tasted some really crazy stuff like Chardonnay rhubarb wine and many more equally unusual blends and a lot of fruit wines and, of course, a ton of Riesling and sparkling wine. We also had a whole large flight of ice wine, mostly from Vidal Blanc. Another one of the judges was Sarah Trubnik from Northeast Wine Company, and she did a lunchtime tasting for the judges, and we got to taste some of Deirdre Heken's La Garagista wine from Vermont, and also David Keck's new brand, Stella 14. Many Texans I know know David from all his years here in Texas. Sarah presented three different Marquette wines from three different producers in the Northeast. And then the next day, the Wine and Spirits writer and editor, Carlo DeVito, who was another judge, presented 12 wines from New Jersey. I know, but I was super impressed by those. Albarino and Cab Franc were my favorites, and I have to say I did not have high expectations, but these wines were surprisingly good. And now, I'm excited to announce a really cool travel opportunity that has come my way. I'm partnering with Pablo Valqui of Gourmet Tours Worldwide, who some of you might know because he works some with Newsome Vineyards. And he's also got a tour company that travels the globe doing wine and food tours. Pablo contacted me about working together on a trip that would be of special interest to people who are excited about Texas wine. And so we've put together a 10-day itinerary to the south of France and Bordeaux. We're taking 10 people with us on this adventure, and it's happening in April of 2024. 
The focus of the trip is to explore places where many Texas grapes originate and also to visit with some VIP Texans who are making wine in France. So we'll be starting in Marseille and spending two days in Provence, then three nights in the Southern Rhone in Châteauneuf-du-Pape. We'll go to the Languedoc-Roussillon for two days and stop by Picpoul de Pinay, of course. And then we'll take the train up to Bordeaux for a few days. We'll visit some producers, make a stop in Cognac, and even see the TV Munson plaque. So there is a lot going on on this trip. Over a dozen winery visits, we'll see plenty of cultural sites, the wine museum in Bordeaux, and so much more. The meals and, of course, the wines will be excellent. We'll make sure of that. So like I said, there are only 10 spots on the trip, and so you'll want to contact me or Pablo about this soon if you're interested. You can visit my website to get the flyer that includes the dates and the price, or just shoot me an email and I'll be happy to send it over. Many of you have read wine or sports stories from Dale Robertson, who was formerly a writer at the Houston Chronicle. Well, Dale worked with Pablo on a similar trip to France just a few months ago. I understand they had a great time, and now they're planning to go to northern Italy. So I'm super excited about this trip, and I would love to talk to you about it if you think that you might want to go. Find links to all these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. And now for our interview. Evan McKibben is the vineyard manager for Culkin Vineyard, the estate vineyard of Pedernales Cellars. It's located just north of Fredericksburg in the Bell Mountain AVA. And that's where I recorded this conversation with Evan in the barn immediately after spending a couple hours in the vineyard together. I loved learning more about the vineyard replanting that's taking place here at Culkin Vineyard and hearing more about Evan's approach to viticulture. It was such an educational day, and I'm excited for you to hear more about Evan's experiences in the Texas wine industry and his mentors and supporters. You'll also hear about Broken Grape, the wine brand that he operates with his wife, Ashley. Listen to the end to hear about the opportunities that you have to experience Texas viticulture with Evan. And by the way, David and Julie that Evan references are David and Julie Culkin, the owners of Pedernales Cellars. And Chris is Chris Brundrett, founder of William Chris Vineyards. Here's our conversation. Well, Evan, where does your Texas wine story begin? Yes. You know, much like probably a lot of people, you know, I fell into this um, and I had never seen a tractor. You know, I grew up in Dallas, um, Richardson area, um, straight city kid. I have a hockey background, uh, which is kind of unusual for someone from Texas, but the stars had just moved down from Dallas or to Dallas from Minnesota and the mighty ducks came out, you know? And so what a perfect storm for a 12 year old boy. It's like, dad, I'm playing hockey. And, uh, we got into hockey. I was very fortunate to play in New Hampshire and Wisconsin and, um, have some success there in college and came back home and started coaching and just had the best time. You know, no responsibilities, early 20s. um, And my dad came to me and said, hey, I just bought this ranch and I want to build a house. And like, okay, you know, I hadn't seen my dad in a while. And my day off, I'd run down, you know, Meridian, Bosque County. And I get in this tractor, we're putting culverts in, you know, and doing this fun. It's just fun, you know, I'm out in the 
this small town, moving dirt, you know, installing things. Uh, at the end of the day, you get to see what you've done. There's accomplishment. And so after a year of that, you know, my dad's like, hey, I have this idea of starting a vineyard and maybe even starting a winery. And so I quit my job in Dallas, moved down to Meridian, and basically was helping my dad start a vineyard, winery. We, uh, we got an old caboose. And we remodeled it into a bedroom, kitchen, shower, and we'd stay in this caboose while we were doing work on the property. And so when, when the winery came about and we, we had more vineyards, you know, the name Red Caboose just fit well. Um, and I was with my dad for 10 years. You know, a lot of people work their way into a winemaking role, work their way into a vineyard management role. Day one, I was the winemaker. Day one, I was the vineyard manager. <laughs> Day one, I was the janitor. <laughs> you know, so you know how it is when you're, you're small. Um, but uh, 10 years into that, you know, it really taught me a lot. Um, uh, my dad taught me work ethic. Um, my dad taught me um, to take pride in your work. And uh, and we were learning on on the fly. You know, it was, it was hey, you make a mistake. Well, let's not do that again. Um, you have a win. It's like, Hey, let's do that again. So we really learned, you know, I tell people my pruning progression, the first three years I pruned everything wrong. I didn't know what I was doing. It took me three years to fix everything. So then year six, we actually are pruning like we should. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people when they're starting, uh, uh, something like that vineyard winery, um, or anything new, you know, there's mistakes, um, and how you correct them and how you learn having that, I was kind of in a bubble, you know, I had the same tractor. I farmed the same vineyard. I went to the same winery and, uh, and I'd get out to learn, you know, we're kind of on an Island. There's not many people around that were doing what we were doing. And so I'd get to some Twigga conventions, you know, I get to a, a class and learn, bring that back to the winery. Um, but there was, it was just all learning at that point. Um, and starting small and building, you know, but uh, when I got down to the hill country in 2015, I started there with William Chris Vineyards. Um, when I left Red Caboose, I had two options, become a winemaker or become a farmer. And I think in those 10 years with my dad, the farming was just easy for me. Not easy, I was just attracted to it. Um, there was a passion. There was also a passion for winemaking. But I think as we got bigger, I realized that, you know, I had to, it's a more of a chemist role when you get to that larger quantity. And I'm just not a chemist. You know, I think anyone that knows me, my personality is definitely geared to farming. And when I was at my dad's Monday through Thursday, I'd be a farmer Friday through Sunday, I'd be a tasting room associate winemaker, you know, face of the winery, you know, get entertaining people. And then starting Monday is back to farming. Um, and I always loved that farming side. So when I left my dad's, um, I was going to be a farmer, you know, um, and William Chris, perfect timing, uh, their vineyard management spot open. Um, I knew Chris from the industry, um, just from the, the Twiga conventions. And, uh, I think at that point there was only Twiga and yeah, their spot opened up. I uh, went down to interview first time I've ever interviewed for a job. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I, and even I'm driving down there like, wow, this is my first job interview. And I got even more nervous, you know, and I remember, I remember Chris got me on a question. Um, uh, what are your faults? <laughs> I remember that one got me. I'm like, I just said, they're like, I don't know. That's uh, uh that's a hard thing to say. I don't know what, you know, and, um, but, but anyways, the interview, interview went well. Um, uh, we came down for another event. Um, 
everything fit well. You know, um, at the time it was a smaller company. A lot of us had families the same age and I really got an in there. Um, and it was a, a really neat company to be a part of. And I learned so much, um, because I'm going from this vineyard where I was one tractor, one site for 10 years to then I'm farming seven vineyards from Mason to dripping and also going out to Fort Davis at the time we we're farming uh, Dolores Mountain. Um, I'm seeing all these trellises. I'm seeing all these different styles, all these different areas of Texas. And it was almost like a college course in growing grapes. And then to top it all off, I've got Bill Blackman as my boss, who's been growing grapes since 1983, um, a legend you know, in the industry. And here I am talking to him six, seven times a day. And the things I've learned from Bill, it was, it was just unbelievable, you know, to be in that spot. I really respected that. Um, really tried to get as much info from Bill as I could. Um, and there were sometimes, you know, I'd be like, Hey Bill, maybe we should do this, you know? And he'd be like, well, I tried that in 92 and you know, it did this happened and this happened. And you're kind of like, yeah, it's okay. You know, to have that wealth and knowledge as your person, you know, that you're leading you. Yeah. So William Chris was a great spot for me. And in 21, um, I moved over to Pedernales Cellars and, you know, it it was, I hate to say like a slower pace of life, but where I'm at now there, I'm farming one vineyard for David, um, at Colkin Vineyards, historic, you know, vineyard. And I'm kind of the caretaker of that place now. Um, I do farm a smaller vineyard in, uh, called Lowell Valley, which is up kind of by Mason. But to be here, David and Julie have been awesome for me. They've given me every everything that I need possible to get this vineyard back up and running. And I'm going to say back up and running. Where, where we're at is um, we're replanting this whole vineyard. So that was even the, the nicest thing. When I started talking to, to David, he's like, hey, you know, I want to give you this blank canvas. And that's how it was. You know, when I first got here, we're ripping out this whole vineyard and we're going to replant. And this is the plan. And, you know, we have a three-year plan of planting and I want you to execute this. And so that's what we did when I got here. We started ripping out the vineyard, started planting new plants. Um, and uh, we're kind of in that training mode now, um, trying to get get these young vines trained up and uh, and get a viable vineyard out of this. And I think I said to you before, um, you know, it's the first four years is the hardest you'll work in your vineyard. And when I got here, that was the only red flag. It was like, do I have enough energy to do this, a whole new replant? Um, but what it's really been nice is David has been um, very hands-off with me and it's made the accountability for myself at this vineyard. You know, this is my vineyard. Um, the passion, you know, I lose sleep at night sometimes with this vineyard. Um, and uh, um, it's really made me want to have it be successful. And you've got 12 acres, I believe. Yes. We have 12 acres that was planted originally. We uh, just kind of let people know what the plan was. We ripped all the vines out in 21. We did 9,000 vines in 21 planted. We did 8,000 vines in 22. And then I did around 2,000 vines this year. And we'll have some more uh, next year and probably some replants. But the vineyard is now pretty much planted out. Um, I've got vines from vines we planted this year to last year to three years old. Um, and we're just starting to get the first little crop off of uh, um, maybe five acres. So. 
And I think you said 11 varieties? 10 varieties. 10 varieties. Okay. Yeah. So that is, we do have quite a bit of varietals on the, on the vineyard, but, um, you know, I think blending, I think some of the blends are going to be unbelievable. And so we just walked the vineyard and I didn't, I don't recall seeing any whites. Is it all red? It is all red. Yes. Um, which, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy, you know, reds, I wouldn't say are easier to farm, but it seems like, you know, white, white varietals, uh, tend to have a little more higher nutrient, you know, uh, wants a little more disease pressure on some of those whites. Um, but no, I'm really excited about some of these varietals. Um, Telling you one I'm really excited about is Graciano. We didn't get to see that. I didn't show you that block in the vineyard, uh, but the Alicante Boucher we looked at. Um, of course, Tempranillo has been historic at this vineyard. Um, there's a couple saddle trophies at the tasting room that are from this vineyard, um, from the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And so Tempranillo is the biggest varietal that we've replanted. There's probably three acres of that. Um, so I'm excited for that one too. And then we have that, that Tinta Amarilla is going to be a neat one. Um, so there's some of these varieties that I have never grown and then some that I've had like Mouved and, and we were talking about, it's kind of like getting to know people, you know, each one has a different personality or um, it's water, you know, some, you need to water more than others. Um, some like Grenache needs the nitrogen where others like Tempranillo do not, um, or, you know, need little bits. Um, the bud break, you know, the Alicante was the first this year, you know, that shows me which one, you know, I need to prune last Um mm. Also, late bud break, which ones I need to prune first. So it's, it is, it's like getting to know people. They're all different. I learned something new in the vineyard and I want to record it. Tell me again how the timing of the pruning impacts the growing season for the plant. Yes. So I'll tell you the story. And this was happened to my dad's when we were young um, and, you know, still learning. We had Muscat Canale right next to the winery. So, of course, you go out to prune what's the first row you're going to go to? The one that's closest to the winery. Um, so I start on this Muscat Canale and I prune it first, probably early February, mid-February, go through the vineyard progression, you know, did the, the furthest vines away we did last. Well, that year, that Muscat Canale was ripe July 4th. <laughs> it was like, so here I am, 99% of the vineyard still got fruit. I'm harvesting the Muscat Canale. Well, now I've got wine in the barn that I'm having to babysit but then also harvest the rest of the vineyard. So in my head, I'm like, how can we get these ripenings closer together? I don't want to pick in July 4th anymore. So the next year, what I did is I pruned the Muscat Canale last. I did everything else. Then the Muscat Canale repruned last. Um, the harvest, we were able to get up to almost to August 1st. So just by delaying pruning on that varietal, we were able to get harvest, you know, almost three weeks later. And then now I'm picking it first still, but I have another variety I'm picking the next week, another variety we're picking two days after that. And now these wines are coming in the winery at the same time and you're not having to do two jobs at once. And that's when it really started showing me these varietals, you know, you can delay harvest by delaying pruning. And then on the flip side of that, you know, Cab, Mouved, these late bud breakers, you want to prune those first because they need time. So if you prune cab, you know, if you wait for those buds to break and you prune your cab, shoot, you might be picking that at the end of September, you know, and then you have all these problems. Imagine, imagine trying to get that fruit to hang when it's 105 degrees in August, you know, and it just hasn't had that time because you pruned it late, you know, so um, there are, there are some big advantages of, 
varietals pruning later and some pruning early for sure. So it makes sense. Well, while we're talking about things you've learned about farming, can you tell me a little bit about regenerative agriculture and what that means to you and how you're starting to think along those lines? Definitely, definitely. And this is something that's been um, pretty passionate um, the last couple of years. And just like anything, um, when you get into it, you know, when you get excited, you just keep wanting to know more, you know? Um, so yes. So, you know, I look back on the 18 years that I've been a farmer, um, farming grapevines. Um, I've always farmed conventionally, you know, and that's just every, you know, that's how everyone was doing. That's how I was taught. You know, it's, this is how we're farming. Um, and you know, everything it's, um, it's like fixing a symptom, you know, oh, you, you're having this problem. Well, there's a, there's, you need to do this type of fungicide, um, you know, for your weeds, you know, this type of herbicide, and this is how you do it. And, you know, conventionally farming, I wouldn't even say, you know, it's, um, it's manageable, you know, there are, it's not like we're just throwing sprays out there, you know, um, there's government labels, there's um, ways to use these uh, responsibly, you know, and, and a lot of people I farm with, you know, we are responsible farmers. Um, but I think where it got to later in my career is, you know, we're babying these vines. You know, we really, I mean, they're like athletes for us. We're, they go through a cycle, you know, where you're, um, you're building up and then taking away. Um, well, you know, you get to where you're so uh, accountable for this vineyard and, and you're looking at, you know, you really, you really, um, uh, have care for these plants. Well, then you kind of look over this jug that has danger, you know, and there's a jug that has skull and crossbones and you're kind of like, it's, you know, I'm supposed to put that on these vines. And there, there's always seemed like a disconnect, you know, logically. Um, but again, that's how everyone's pruned in the past or uh, sprayed in the past. And that's how it's works. Well, it's like, well, how, how could we change this? You know? And I think there's a lot of farmers um, like Dan McLaughlin and, and John Rivenberg has been, doing a lot, Rob Warren, you know, a desert willow. Um, and you know, we're all caretakers, you know? So I started learning about regenerative, you know, I've learned a little bit about organics. And one thing we have a problem is our heat in Texas. It's hard to really get organics to work in our heat. Um, and some other issues in our humidity, whether fungus pressure, you know, I look at regenerative, regenerative is more of like trying to find the root problem, solving the root problem. So then the uh, symptoms aren't there. It's you know, similar to healthcare. You know, I think, um, I think there's problems of trying to solve symptoms rather than finding what the root, root problem is. So, and it's funny, root problem, you know, we're dealing with roots with regenerative. <laughs> but so regenerative, the first thing is your soil. You know, you have to have uh, a, a soil that has microbes, soil that is alive, you know, um, a lot of us through years of herbicide, through years of, of chemical farming, you know, these soils are oxidized. Um, and what oxidized soils do, they bind your macro and micronutrients. So I could be injecting um, zinc, boron, calcium. Well, if you have an oxidized soil, it bounds those, those uh, um, nutrients. So it won't uptake the plant. So in regenerative, first, you got to fix your soil. And that could be multiple years. You know, it's not definitely not a year one, year two. It could also, honestly, your soil should be the whole life of your vineyard. You're, you got to work on your soils. Um, but once you get the soils, you know, worked out, uh, the idea of regenerative is making that plant so healthy 
that it's using energy to create photosynthesis, create food for the plant, but it's also has created so much energy, the vine stores energy. And I think, you know, a vineyard that's not healthy or a vineyard that um, is having problems, you know, that vine is using all of that. It's not being able to store energy. So it's kind of like a human, like running a race and never being able to drink water and recover and running another race, you know. Um, we're trying to create the health of the plant so healthy that it stores energy. Once it stores enough energy, the plant will create its own immune system. And these are proven, you know, studies. Um, enzymes change in the trunk to where uh, insects don't want to get on the plant. Um, another level, you know, once you get to the to the next level, um, there's proteins that form that create waxy coatings on the leaf, which then your fungus won't um, infect that leaf to infect the whole plant. You know, it'll actually land on that wax and that waxy coating will, will almost like a shield, you know. Um, but it's a system that I believe we can get rid of chemical by creating a healthy environment for our plants, um, which sounds easy just saying that, but there there is a lot more into it. Um, and it's something I'm stair-stepping into. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're switching over so drastically, it's very bad thing to just switch over and say, hey, next year we're doing everything. Um, where I'm at is I'm finding these areas that are going to be easy to switch. And I want to switch that area first. Um, one thing I've identified is herbicides and weeds. You know, um, One thing I'm really looking heavy into is getting cheap in the vineyard. And we were talking about that uh, when we were walking the vineyard, you know, initially it's like sheep. Oh my goodness. I've never had livestock before. So it's like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of work there. There's, you know, you got to get a place for them to live. You got to get water, you know, it's going to be an everyday thing. But then you started to see the benefits of sheep. So, you know, um, I think with our hail netting, I can, I can graze those sheep all year long. Um, we're typically sheeper in a vineyard, um, in the winter time when there's no leaves, cause they can get up to the canopy. Typically us, they use sheep because they like to eat low, but they will, they will jump up there. You know, the uh, cordon is low enough to where they can get to it. Um, now goats, goats would take your whole vineyard down, you know, so, so we're not thinking about that, but, um, but then, so you got, you've got, um, sheep that are eating your weeds. So, um, my idea is, you know, less herbicide or no herbicide at all. Then as they're walking, they're pooping and peeing. A lot of studies come out is that the urine is the thing you want. You know, the, the, the manure is great, but the urine is where a lot of the good stuff is. So having those alive, those live animals in the vineyard, you know, getting that. We just spent, you know, six $7,000 on a compost manure this year. I hit every row, you know, 111 rows um, as a yard per acre. Um, where if I had live animals, you know, that's a cost, that's an input that I would never have to input because I'm getting it with the sheep. So, and then you look at mowing, you know, they're eating the grass, they're eating those weeds under the vines. Um, that's going to save me diesel. Um, it's going to save me labor. Um, it's going to save me compaction of my soil. Um, so yeah, initially you look at it, you're like, oh my goodness, this, this is, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms. But then you, you start to realize all the benefits and you're like, this could be doable. Now, one thing I'm kind of waiting on and even I'm still trying to learn a lot more, but um, the age of my vines, you know, I don't have trunks and a lot of the vineyards. So I'm, I'm probably a couple of years away from having sheep, but it's something, you know, I might, I would like to dive into. So That's exciting. Yeah. Well, when you left Red Caboose, 
um, you decided on the farming life. Yes. But I guess some part of you was still itching to be a winemaker because yes. you have your own wine label. Do you want to tell me about Broken Grape? I would love to. So it, it was kind of funny. When I came down to William Chris, 290 Hill Country is where the industry's at. I mean, where I was with it, my dad's, you know, we were literally on an island. You know, other people started popping up. Uh, Joey at Valley Mills, I remember working with his dad. And uh, then Joey took over. Um, and, you know, there's other places that are popping up around my dad. But back then, we literally were, we were a destination. If you came to us, you were hanging out for the day, you know. Um, but you come down to the hill country, and it's like this new world of the wine industry opened up. It's like, goodness, it, there's a winery every, you know, little bit road uh, down the road. So it's just cool. It's, you feel like you're a part of the industry down here. So when I moved down here, a lot of people really didn't know my past, um, that, you know, I had 10 years experience and farming and doing things. And, um, you know, Chris knew my past and, um, but it, it was a couple of years of, of being with the company and, and I was like, Chris, you know, I, I really would like to start a little label, you know, at the time Josh had Tatum sellers, uh, and Josh had just started that, you know, now I, the success Josh has had, I, I just really give it up to him. He's really been an inspiration starting a small label and, and growing into now where he has his own spot. But that would kind of gave me an idea. It's like, man, if, if it would be awesome to do like a hundred cases a year, just something small, you know? Um, I know, you know, being part of the industry, I know what it takes to have a, a winery in a, in a vineyard. And goodness, if I could do a hundred cases a year and never have a tasting room, it would be fun for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was like, Chris, I'd love to, do some wine, you know, um, it's been, been three or four years. I haven't, you know, done it. And he's like, yeah, well, any, any point this year, you see a lot, you know, I'm with him on all these harvests. You see a lot, um, pick some out, you know, do a ton this year. So we start harvesting that year. Um, we get to Lubbock and it's just one of those years is back to back harvest. Um, you know, every night we're out doing something and sending fruit back, you know, and, and here I'm like, how am I going to do punch downs when I'm in Lubbock harvesting? So I waited till the very end. And what it was was farmhouse Muvedra. Our lot, I think, was around 28 tons. I was checking on that fruit at the end of the year. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Farmhouse does such a great job. Um, those guys are farmers, you know. For sure. You know, we're, they're all farmers up there. But it's funny, you know, here I am. I farm grapes. You know, they farm grapes soybeans, black-eyed peas, watermelons. I mean, when the grape harvest is done, you get this like, you know, oh, my season's done. When you talk to Anthony or Nick, they're like, yeah, we're rolling into black peas next. <laughs> and here you are, you get to come home and get sleep. They're still running, yeah. you know, they are, they're true farmers. But um, so that night uh, we did 28 tons, um, the last fruit of the whole year. I slid a, a ton and a half off and we made uh, the first wine that I'm, I'm selling now that's done real well is uh, Farmhouse Muvedra. And it came in at 28 bricks. Um, I added a little bit of tannin and, and fermented it. Um, I really wanted this bold Muvedra. So I oaked it real heavily. And it came out 14.9% alcohol. Um, it's dark, inky. I, I mean, it's a bold red wine and I've really, it's really aged well. Um, and, uh, it's great wine to start broken grape with. What vintage is that? A 2018. 18. Yes. Um, so really we, I did the winemaking before we ever were licensed. I don't even think we had the name broken grape yet. Um, you know, talking with my wife about it, um, 
uh, she came up with the name Broken Grape. Um, and it was just kind of a, you know, it, it, I wanted something farming to be, you know, be about it. And, you know, we were talking about to ferment, you got to break open the grapes, you know, we refer to it as crushing, but, um, you know, I just, and you'll see our logo is kind of a grape being broken and we got licensed in 2021. Um, so we were legally able to sell then. So it was nice to have that wine just had been bottled. So right when we got licensed, I had a wine that I could sell. Now, this is, this is a good part. Anyone that's wanting to start a label, this is, this is, will be some, some good info here. Now, of course, I've been part of the industry. I've been around every, you know, every point of the industry. Never once did I have a problem with selling as far as like in my mind, you know, I'm thinking the hardest part is farming. The hardest part is making it. And it's all down street selling the wine. And that is totally not true. <laughs> I will tell you, um, anyone that's going to start a brand, you need to look at the selling as your hardest part. And I think anyone thinks, you know, okay, oh, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. And, and we're going to bottle it. And my friends are going to come out of the woodworks and we're just going to sell everything. And that was the first, probably kick in the pants, you know, here it is. You know, I, I have, uh, I'm in debt, you know, I need to pay for this wine to be produced. Um, so the selling, you know, I think your friends and your family, of course, buy the first round. Well, then when you get through that first round, then it's like, all right, well, who else is going to buy this wine? <laughs> and I need to build up a clientele. Yep. Um, and, uh, and it is, uh, it's one of the hardest parts, you know, even talking um, with David, you know, talking with Chris, um, talking with guys that have been in the industry, you know, they just laugh at me. And it's like, it's kind of like when I first became a dad, you know, I had no idea what it was like being a dad. And that first year, oh my goodness, like zombie, you know, not sleeping. You have this bond with other dads because you've been through that. And, you know, you all look at each other and you have this, you know, to where like you see someone that's maybe hasn't had a kid yet, but they're about to. You're kind of like, Haha, I know what's coming. No, it's coming. Um, so in my head is like, how, how am I going to sell this wine? And really what it came to was, well, I want to be genuine. You know, I think when you're sharing a story with customers, you have to be genuine. You have to be a hundred percent yourself. Um, and well, I started looking at myself, well, I'm a farmer, you know, I love farming. Um, that's my passion. So how can I bridge farming and selling wine? Um, and I started looking back, you know, Chris and I took a trip to California. We we're looking at this tasting room um, and we got to go Turley. And Turley, just unbelievable Zinfandels. Um, they do a lot of these Zinfandels off 140-year-old vines, 150-year-old um, vines. Um, these vines that are up in the Gold Rush area, you know, Prohibition, they've ripped all these vines out. They're in the coastal areas. Well, they never got up into the mountains. So that Amador area, it's so awesome to sit down and taste the Zinfandel off 100-something-year-old vines. And Turley was a vineyard manager. You know, you, you start learning the history and it kind of like popped in my head. Like, it's so cool. You know, you don't have to be a winemaker to have a, a brand, you know. Um, we all, you know, um, the winemaking team isn't, you know, they're responsible for that wine. But, you know, the farming angle is also part of that wine. So we kind of share that production, you know. Um, and the wine starts in the vineyard. You know, I think a lot of, you know, a, a lot of people should know that we are the first, the first line of defense. Um, and you know, the winemaker takes that fruit and then finishes it off. And, you know, there's a lot to do with that, um, as well. But so it's a team, team, team role. 
Um, so I, I think it's neat. It's kind of a neat niche to promote myself as a vineyard manager farmer, but also have this wine label. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how are we going to bridge that? So um, my passion and my love, we, you know, uh, for an hour and a half, we were in the vineyard today. I, and even talking, you know, I'm a very quiet person um, when I get in with a group of people. But you get me with one or two people, I'll talk farming all day long. You're like, oh my goodness, like Evan drank too much caffeine today. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, hockey and farming, I can just talk about all day long. But uh, so it's like, well, I'm going to invite people in the vineyard. I want to give them a vineyard experience. Um, talk about drip tubing. Talk about spur pruning. Um, talk about canopy management. Talk about everything, you know, um, maybe we just get so nerdy. I'm boring these people, you know, but what I've seen is a lot of people that don't know about, don't realize what we do on a daily basis and how we take care of the plants and how intricate some of these jobs are, how time sensitive some of these jobs are. Um, and then also about the different varietals, you know, that, like I said, the personalities, you know, it's, um, um, it's just a passion for me to express that. And then when someone is interested in what you do for a living, it makes me more, excited you know so um so it's like this is this is how i'm going to sell wine i'm going to do vineyard experiences um i'm going to bring that person in the vineyard that's a wine consumer you know this is not a learn how to farm a vineyard this is all entertainment you know um i'm not going to be teaching people how to farm well kind of but it's it's entertainment that's the way i look just like if a winery brought a band to the winery you know this is an entertainment thing and I think wine consumers, um, they come down to the, the 290 corridor and they experience the tasting rooms, which are awesome. I mean, some of these wineries have beautiful tasting rooms. They experience, maybe they get to go to a tank room, you know, which is cool. I mean, you're not in a tank room. If you've never been to one, it's pretty awesome to get in there and touch a tank, see a jacketed tank, see you know, ice forming, see um, maybe a hose, maybe a cellar man is in the back. You know, it's cool. Um or a food and wine pairing. Now that's cool too. But I think there's another angle and that's the agriculture angle. And I think with a lot of the farm to table coming popular, um, a lot of, uh, homesteading becoming more popular. Uh, I think people are going to be drawn to the agricultural side of the wine industry. And that's where I want to be with broken grape. I want to be the liaison between the wine enthusiast and the farming, you know, and I want to, I want to show this and they, the expression I always get, and it's always this deer in the headlights at the end of an experience. And there's, I didn't realize there was this much about farming. And I think that's exactly where you want to have your consumer before you sell a bottle of wine. You want that deer in the headlights. Like I just learned something and now they want to take a part away to then go home and say they have a friend that comes over, you know, they break that bottle of bro- bro- broken grape out and say, Hey, I met this guy named Evan. He was so cool. We went in the vineyard we learned, I learned, uh, what a peduncle was, you know, I always like that. That's that word always gets people. Um, I learned, you know, about pruning, you know, and, and then share that bottle of wine, you know, and I think that's where, that's where I want to be with broken grape. Yeah. Anytime somebody explains to you more about their passion, you, it's contagious, frankly. Definitely. And even during COVID, you were doing an educational seminar on yes. Zoom. <laughs> yes. So, but it's not the same as being actually in the vineyard. So I'm Definitely. glad that we're back to being able to offer live things. Yeah. That, um, that was cool to walk through with you. And I learned a bunch of new stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I enjoy that. And it, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then of course I got into hockey and then got into to the, farming. Um, 
I just, uh, my, my daughter, uh, we've been homeschooling her, um, and we, this is her first year of public school. I went and uh, helped them do a popcorn day. And I'm walking in there, and I'm thinking I'm having this great time. Well, I did have a great time, but I get in there, and oh my goodness, like, talk about chaos. Like, I'm stressed. I'm trying to do this popcorn machine. I've got fourth graders telling me how to do it. I've got people waiting for popcorn. I'm trying. And then after like 30 minutes, I'm like, I don't need to be stressed out in this fourth grade class trying to do popcorn. And then I started having fun, and it, but it was chaos. And I, that point, I was so thankful. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't become a teacher. <laughs> so I've had a passion for teaching. I love, um, I think for me, I have to simplify something. But that's how I teach other people. And I've, I've had that feedback. Like you, you describe it in a simplified way. But that's just how I learn. I have to simplify it. And, um, and I think once you simplify it, um, things become easier. You know? So the 10 and a half that you got for your first wine, how much wine does that make? Yes. So that made about four barrels, um, four barrels of wine, uh, which is about uh, around that 90, 95 case mark. Um, and I think that's what it ended up being around 95 cases. And, you know, one of the, um, we started at the den, um, selling at the den. Um, and then I got into Vintner's Hideaway, um, which has been a great, I, Renee and Jim, um, share too. They really have supported me the last probably six, seven months, um, there. And then other than that, uh, Petter Nullis has let me do some, uh, pop-ups on the patio, which was been awesome. And, you know, one other thing without having a tasting room, it does, I hate, I've never liked asking other people for things. You know, I guess it's a pride thing. My dad, uh, probably put that in me. Um, and it's always been hard at anything, you know, to ask help. And I think as I've gotten older, I've had to get better at that because it's unhealthy <laughs> to always want to do things by yourself. Um, and it's been hard for me without a tasting room. It always feels like I'm bugging people or I'm, you know, and I know it's not in the long run, you know, you look at it and, and the, a lot of these building relationships in the industry, it's, that's been my saving grace. And, you know, these people do want to help you out, but it does, it always, it's kind of like cooking in someone else's kitchen, you know? I mean, that's the reality. You're, where's the forks? Where, you know, what's the, and, it, and, um, and that's been another kind of hill to, to jump through, but you know, that's when you don't have your own facilities, that's, that's how you got to operate. So. Mm-hmm. so you have a second wine out under Broken Grape? Yes, we just released. So the other thing that I'm trying to do with Broken Grape, and I've been trying to um, uh, sort, and again, you know, these wines take two years to produce. So this year, you know, um, you, you got to remember 2023, you know, these wines that I'll have out this year will be to 2025. So you've got to look at, okay, well, where is this label going to be out in 2025? Am I making enough wine to grow? Um, and so there's a lot of decisions there. The way I want the label to be is when I come up to a, to a table or we're in the vineyard talking, I want to present these wines that I farmed these wines and I made these wines. You know, I think that's, that's a lot of people don't really get to say that, um, uh, you know, especially on a large scale, when you're a large winery, you can't, I mean, one person cannot be the farmer and the, and the winemaker, but on the scale that I'm at, you know, uh, most of my wines are going to be a ton and a half, maybe two tons. Um, uh, I can be the farmer and be the winemaker. Um, we, uh, so I farm Lowell Valley, which is over here by Mason. That's a second vineyard I farm. Um, I farmed that vineyard since 2015. Um, Chris, called me in 2021 after I left the company and 
And this is how Chris is. You know, he's very, very generous. I mean, I've never met anyone so um, passionate about the wine industry. You know, he wants everyone to do good, you know. And so he calls me and he's like, hey, Little Valley, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's four acre vineyard, especially when you got uplift and other, you know, we were farming 50 plus acres. Um, he's like, you know, I think this vineyard would be great for you. I think this vineyard would be great for Broken Grape. Um, if you want to take it over, uh, back over the, the owners love you, you know, and, and they want you back. And, and so I started farming Little Valley. Um, I took it over in 2021, um, back over, uh, and, um, it's a four acre vineyard, beautiful 17 year old vineyard. Uh, uh, the, there's an acre and a half of cab at the top that I use that for broken grape. There's an acre and a half of Mouvette at the bottom that, um, Petronalis gets that. And then there's a little bit of Tanat and Tempranillo that, that they get as well. But, um, the, uh, um, the neat thing about releasing that wine, I did a field blend. Um, so it's, uh, 60% cab, 30% Mouvedra. Um, 10% to not. Um, and so I have a cab that'll be coming out probably in the next couple of years. Um, that's straight cab. Um, but again, I'm trying to create these wines where, uh, I can, I'm the farmer and the winemaker. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Yeah. What else should listeners know about broken grape? Starting a label. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it, you know, um, not much the farming, the winemaking, but, um, creating a brand, you know, um, my wife has been unbelievable, um, to have, you know, not even a teammate, um, in life, but a teammate for a brand, a partner. Um, she has been awesome. You know, um, she has a big part of wine cub. She works with Carrie and Jason. Um, she does a lot of compliance issues. Um, she's, you know, doing a lot of different wineries, um, paperwork stuff, and she loves it, you know. And it's so funny, with the personalities, you know. I remember going into the, the bedroom, and she's got a uh, her spreadsheet up, and she's showing me what she's doing, and oh my goodness, like, I would much rather plant 10 acres of grapes than look at Excel spreadsheet, you know. But she she's just that minded. She loves numbers. Um, and so she's really taken over a lot of the paperwork side. Um, she did a lot of the... Uh, licensing at the beginning. In fact, we got our license in record time. And it's a funny story. Everyone probably has a story about getting their license. It's very, it's a hard time. You know, (laughs) are we going to get accepted? Are we going to get denied? Um, You know, and sometimes they take their time. Sometimes, you know, they want to, you know, really vet it, you know, and, um, and we were having some problems. I can't remember what it was, but uh, my wife is great with people. um, And she, uh, emailed the T- TTB guy and was like, Hey, you know, very nice, very nice email. And, um, just asking for this thing. And, and, uh, and we get approved. Um, it was some record time. I remember Carrie Hensley, who does a lot of licensing for people was just like, I've never seen it approved that fast. And actually, well, sometimes you just gotta be a little nice to these right. guys, you know? And, um, so, uh, so it's been really fun to work with her on it. Um, she keeps me organized and, um, and I couldn't think of a better partner. So under a broken grape, you have a wine club and yes. you sell here and there, do some pop-ups here and there, Yes. but you have a cool new experience that is coming online soon that in- involves both vineyard education and being able to taste some wine. So why don't you tell me about that? Definitely. So this has been really exciting and it's just about to come out. Um, 
we, you know, talking along the lines of vineyard experiences, um, you know, I've been doing some vineyard experiences the last, you know, maybe three, four months, but, um, being like starting any business, you know, I don't have a, a, uh, customer base, you know, and that's another thing If anyone here is wanting to start their own brand, you know, it, it's a building, you know, it's, it's a building to build that customer, get fans, keep those fans. I mean, it's, it's like creating a monster, you know, and, and I haven't created a monster yet. You know, um, I have like a, a plush, uh, teddy bear at this point, <laughs> but, um, but no, so I started talking with Chris, um, early on. In fact, when I was still at one, Chris, uh, we started talking about doing a vineyard experience, but I was so dang busy. I never could get to that point, you know? And when I came to Petternell Cellars, um, we also started talking a little bit about it, but the hard part is the vineyard is 30 minutes from the winery. So the vineyard is not on the property. Um, and so there's some logistic issues with bringing people to the vineyard and then not having, you know, um, it's some things that in the future we might be able to do you know, Lost Straw, um, the, the company did the merger. The Johnson City property I developed uh, in 2019 for Will and Chris. And Lost Straw just put a new tasting room. Um, and they've opened up. Um, and now it's Lost Straw, Johnson City. And so they've gone from this small tasting room um, by HEB with no vineyard, no agriculture, or urban type winery, which is awesome. Um, we're actually, my wife and I are wine club members there to a facility that has agriculture, has a vineyard, has that ranch type feel. So, you know, talking to them, it's like, Hey, let's show off this vineyard. Let's uh, um, do these vineyard experiences at Lost Straw Johnson city. And, you know, talking with Andrew sides, I think one of the, the nice things is we can have a group in the vineyard and also a group in the tasting room, you know, and, and spread it out. Um, eventually there's going to be an unbelievable tasting room there. But at this point, um, you know, to open and get things going, um, it's a smaller tasting room to start. And then phase two will go. So the idea is, you know, get people in the vineyard. Um, also to show off the vineyard, you know. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand what a revenue source a vineyard can be to do agricultural events. Um, and like I said, you know, I, I'm sure people love going to Tank Room. I'm sure people love doing a food and wine experience, but you also can be in the vineyard showing off agriculture. Um, that's what I believe. And that's what we're going to try and do at Johnson city. So I've committed Saturdays. Um, at this point, it's going to be, um, every Saturday, there's going to be, uh, at this point, probably two sessions because of the heat, but then once the fall rolls in, we'll probably do three sessions, uh, hour and a half sessions. Um, it's a progressive tasting. So we're going to walk and talk about vineyard and we're going to taste the wine. We're going to uh, lost straw wine, walk and talk, taste another lost straw wine, walk and talk. You know, it's going to a progressive tasting through the vineyard. The last wine that we taste is going to be broken grape. So they're letting me uh, promote my brand um, with the last wine. And uh, I get to you know express what, what I do for a living. And, um, and then again, you know, you're never working if it's your passion. And like I said before, my passion is, um, sharing viticulture with people. And it just is something that, you know, later on in life, when I can't be a farmer, when I can't when I say farmer labor, <laughs> you know, I'm still working on the row. I'm still, you know, uh, um, doing a lot of the labor side. Um, but you know, we all get older, you know, I would love to transition into something where I'm doing these vineyard experiences for people, um, selling a little bit of wine and, uh, maybe just consulting on the side. So, mm-hmm. So we'll see how that well, builds. But I've done something similar in Oregon and they're just it's just such a 
a neat experience because you're, you know, you're actually walking through the vines. And I had to laugh when you said many people, even who do visit a vineyard, only go five feet in because I'm thinking, when's the last time I was more than five feet in? Probably in the High Plains last summer, Uh I went and I got driven around through some vines and, um, you know, went more than five feet in. But truly, it is more common to only go five feet in. But yeah. um, That'll be a great experience, and people get to ask a ton of questions, I'm sure, and find out about that vineyard, and then you can talk about Broken Grape. Well, you know, and the other other thing that I really want to kind of become, and and this, I I went to Colorado. I was young, probably 12, 13 years old. There were a cave of the winds. If anyone's ever been Colorado Springs, it's really cool. It's it's up kind of in the area, but they have three different tours. So the first tour is... Everything's lit, nice little trail, um, beautiful, you know, uh, stalactites, and I'm surprised I got that word right. Um, but anyways, just, you know, everything's beautiful, everything's easy. Second tour, if you want to do it, um, there's no lights, and everyone had lanterns, you know, and so everyone's, so it kind of gives this little intimacy of lanterns, um, and you're walking, and, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, different experience. The third one, um, you actually had to get a physical. Um, you, they gave you a helmet with a lantern, and you had a guide. And this part of the, the tour was away from the main cave. And we get up to this hole, and it's just a black hole. And he's like, this is where we're going. And we get in there, and, and we're, I mean, we, there were some spots we were on our bellies just scooting through, you know. And, and you were with this guide, and it was just this extreme experience. Mm-hmm. That's the experience that I want to give to people, you know, that I want to get their hands in the dirt. You know, I want to get them where they're sweating. Um, I want to get, you know, maybe it's, we're tasting berries, you know, when it's that time of season. Um, that's the other neat thing about these experiences. They will change. It is not because farming changes with seasons. You know, what, what the experience is in April is not going to be the experience in September. Right. Um, but that's the level I want to give the extreme, you know, I, this is not going to be, uh, um, you know, I wouldn't say it, it's just, it's going to be the, uh, the, uh, extreme version. So I love it. And that this yeah. requires closed toed shoes, ladies. Yes. <laughs> and it, and, uh, you know, and uh, getting dirty is optional, you know? Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> right. What is growing out in that vineyard at Lost Straw Johnson city? Um, they have Tanat, Petit Verdot. Merlot, um, and I think that's it. Okay. Um, now I will touch a little bit on Merlot um, because this is kind of a neat thing. I think Texas needs to bring Merlot back. You know, and even talking with Bill, uh, uh, I got to taste in his uh, tasting room just a little bit ago. Um, I think Merlot could be the grape for Texas. You know, and it and it's so funny because a couple of years ago I probably would have been like, nah, Merlot, like we've got Tempranillo, Tanat, you know, we've got some cool like new Toraldigo. I'm really excited about um, Graciano, you know, all these like new words. And you think of Merlot has been for every, you know, and then you look back in the last 15 years or maybe gosh, 20 years now, it's the movie Sideways and Merlot really tanking off. Oh my goodness! I tried Bill Blackman's uh, Blackman Ranch Vineyards Merlot, and I mean jaw-dropping really? you know I don't drink that much anymore um and it's just from my body's changing you know I'm getting older and it's affecting me differently and it's been great I lost a bunch of weight and but that tasting I, I was just going to taste a little bit you know 
that Merlot, I went back probably three different times. And, you know, <laughs> as I'm there, I'm like, oh, my body's going to hate me at the end of the day. But you know what? I don't care. This is some unbelievable Merlot. Um, one nice thing is the, the clusters are so loose on Merlot. Um, it's, uh, you know, the fungus pressure, you know, build up there. The, that loose cluster is very easy to farm, um, you know, and it just, I think it could be a great great grape for texas so i think Cibonet planted that on bill's advice at yes. their at yep. their estate vineyard yes we did i did a lot of help with Cibonet at the beginning um the, the layout um and i remember bill talking there's two different clones out there two different merlot clones and what a beautiful vineyard gosh oh, really? if anyone could get to Cibonet, that's going to be when that gets mature and well, I'm excited to see how Broken Grape will continue to flourish. And Thank you. Especially with the new opportunity that you have to, to taste more people out in the vineyard. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think, you know, the my niche is, like I said, is going to be the agriculture side. Um, you know, I don't think what I want, the experience I want to give to people isn't going to be for everyone, you know. Um, you know, but that person that's interested in the farming angle, you know, that's that's the person I want to capture or that person that has no idea, you know, um, I've met some sommeliers that, um, golly, no more than I'll ever know about tasting wines. Um, but are so excited when they come in the vineyard with me, you know, and, and they get to see that side. Cause that's, it's hard to really read about farming. You know, it's definitely more an experience. Um, and the thing about farming is the different years, you know, um, well, like this year, I mean, last year, goodness, we couldn't even get a drop of rain. Oh, this is one of the driest years I've ever experienced in my life. Um, it almost got laughable, you know, and to where it, then it got almost cryable, you know, <laughs> like what is going on? Especially when you plant 8,000 vines, you know. Um, but then this year where we just got the rains at the right time, we got this cool summer, which is now, it's probably going to be a hundred degrees today, but, um, but you know, we're just getting into that hundred degree heat. Um, and to have a, a, a growth season like this one has been, um, um, been neat. And you do different farming when you have those different seasons, you know, and, and you have to just go through it. You have to make the mistakes. And I think, you know, if you make those mistakes, make you stronger, that's where you win. If you let those mistakes beat you, you, I mean, farming is not going to be the right suit for you. Um, you know, I remember the first couple of years at William Chris, I was on this pace, this higher pace than I was before. And I remember being at Granite Hill crying, literally calling my wife crying. Like, I don't think I can do this, you know? And she really talked me up, talked me back into it. Um, and I got back on my saddle and, and, you know, you keep farming, you, know, you said so. years like this keep you in farming. Because yes. You've just seen so much growth and positivity. Oh, the growth this year. I mean, this has been, everyone's canopies this year has been great. You know, I think, you know, in these years you have to watch out for fungus pressure. You know, you really have to be on your spray and you really have to have your spray rig dialed in. Um, you've got to know what to get out there at the right time. Um, because the disease pressure is so high when it when the the moisture is so high, um, those dry years are nice because there's kind of nothing that's giving you fungus you know, or pressure like that. So um, it's almost just like the vines are living off the drip tube. Um, but uh, but yeah, these are the years you have these massive canopies, the vigorous canopies, um, the 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 fruit. You know, um, you might hit a couple hailstorms, but 
goodness. Um, you know, um, you just keep going. So this is going to be a great year, I think, for a lot of people. Um, um, so they can keep that disease pressure out. So everyone says that we're further ahead this year than usual. Yes, is that what you've seen out definitely. or heard out and about? Definitely. And, and and it is like when you're farming, you see these cues. You know, um, the first cue this year was early bud break. You know, um, we were two to three weeks early. In fact, it it shocked me. You know, and you see these, you see these when you're pruning, you know, everything's usually dry during the dormant season. As, as the vines want to bud break, your pruning wound, you'll see that xylem's, you know, and it start leaking. You know, it's almost sometimes you cut into it, sprays you in the face when it gets later down the road. You'll see those buds bulging. So you can kind of see it starting. Um, it was probably two to three weeks early this year with bud break. Um, and, you know, some people are different, you know, and, and it's really not bud break until 50% of those buds have broken. So you'll have some bud break and everyone like, oh, it sound the alarm, but you know, it really is that, but it was early this year, but you know, that's just the beginning of the season. So mm-hmm. you can't just start in April and be like, oh my goodness, we're going to be picking in July. You know, there's a lot of variables that go into it and still go into it. But what you're seeing is we bud broke early. Um, we went through bloom early. Um, the clusters are going through verasion a little early. Um, but still, you know, we, you know, if we catch a lot of these hundred degree days, you know, the vines shut down. So some of these hundred degree days could stall some of this out and we might be right on board, but you look at the progression. So, you know, I was already talking to Joanne at, at uh, Petronalis and, you know, it's like, well, you know, we probably are going to be a little early, you know, looking at it. Um, but again, it's, things can still change to where it will be either on time. I don't think we're going to be picking in October this year as far as high plains or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, this is going to be, I mean, I, I think there's some Blanc Dubois that's going to be ready. That, that's always, that was always the first indicator that, that, uh, Gulf coast region, yeah. uh, we used to get Blanc Dubois. Gosh, I can't remember the name of that vineyard. Um, but I'd always be running in our vineyards here in the hill country and Tony be like, oh, we're picking Blanc de Bois tomorrow. It'd be like July 1st, you know, like what? Um, and, you know, Blanc de Bois always comes off early, but um, that'll be the indicator. You know, when is that Blanc de Bois going to come out of the Gulf Coast region? Because um, that usually sets up with the hill country. And then it's even, it's like dominoes. You know, the High Plains guys are watching for West, the hill country. Because yep. um, we usually mirror that um, uh, and they get a better time. Uh, for bud break, pruning, harvesting, you know, by looking at what the hill country is going to give you. So so people should know that they can follow along kind of what's going on with the Culkin Vineyard here where we're sitting today mm-hmm. by looking at the Petronalis website. I know there's a nice um, blog area where there's occasionally updates from the vineyard. Yes. Um, for Broken Grape, you have a website where people can check that out? I do. Yes. Um, we try to go with Broken Grape, but it was already taken, of course. So we are the broken grape excellent thebrokengrape.com <laughs> thebrokengrape.com i think now you can just search broken grape um uh and then i explain kind of what i what i'm doing you know what my philosophy is um well i'm trying to really push agriculture you know and really get people um uh experience with farming texas grapes at a high quality you know um and then uh, i also do my instagram uh yes. and you know so i kind of have a funny story with the instagram um and you can tell how I call it the Instagram. Um, I never had social media. I, like I told you, I, I've always been a private person. Um, I really am. I, almost as I see as I've gotten older, I have a lot of hermit 
tendencies, like especially being on this ranch now, it's like sometimes I'll be like, I got to get something from town. And then you're like, ah, I really want to go to town, you know? And, um, but, uh, but yes. Uh, so I, I am definitely a private person, you know, I, um, uh, but anyway, 2018, 19, Chris came, comes up to me and he's like, I want to challenge you. I want you to have an Instagram page and, and just share farming, you know, just share with our customers about farming. And I didn't even know what Instagram was at the time. I, mean, I knew the name, but so I download the app and we had just planted Johnson city, um, an acre and a half. And so I'm walking, I'm watering everything, just turn the drip tubing on. It's like, Hey, what a great time to do a post. So I did a little video. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I'm just, you know, looking at these vines, um, they're watering and, you know, all this stuff. And I post it and then I get this little bing. I'm like, what was that? And I look and some random person liked it. And then it was like, well, that was cool. And then a ting. And so I'm like, what is that? And I look at it. Someone else liked it. I'm like, well, that's cool. Like maybe, maybe I could do this. I may do this other shot over here, you know? And, and then it's gotten to this point. I just, I really enjoy it. Um, I, I just do farming. Um, and, uh, and I love, I love showing people, we, we get to mess with cool things. Like, um, we have a high tendency to mess stuff up in the vineyard. <laughs> like I've broken a lot of stuff. Um, but, uh, but no, we get to mess with cool toys. Um, some of these jobs are fun. Um, you know, like I said, the farming, there's not a lot of marketing. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, I think when someone thinks of a farm that isn't a farmer, they think, oh my goodness, I don't want to go out there and sweat, sweat and, um, do this and do, you know, but you know, as someone that's in it, it's, uh, it's really fun. You know, we, we get to, uh, dig in dirt and, um, you know, my wife met me for the first time. Uh, she was used to dating guys with suits and ties and, you know, here I am, uh, you know, I didn't even own a suit and tie. My fingernails are dirty, you know? And so it was, uh, it was pretty funny, but, um, but no, but, um, the farming, yeah, it's just, uh, it was just been fun for me to promote it and, and to get into a point where, you know, um, uh, you can share that with people. It's cool. been fun. And so. what's your Instagram handle? Vineyard Evan? Yes. Vineyard underscore Evan. Okay. And, um, like I said, I just put funny things on there. Um, anytime I'm in the vineyard and I'm thinking someone might like to see it. Yeah. Just let's take a little video and shoot it. And, um, and it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've actually met a lot of people in the United States and in the world, that are farming grapes just like I am um, that um, it's really neat to get on there and see what they're doing in Italy mm-hmm. or what someone's doing in New Zealand um, or, you know, uh, it's been, been a neat community to That's be a cool. part of. That's actually where I heard of you first, I think is on Instagram. Okay. I was just in the Finger Lakes uh, for a wine competition and some of the winemakers there, I was talking to them and they were asking me about hail netting. They weren't yes. familiar with what it even looked like. Yep. So I'm, I'm like, oh, let me show you. And because yep. I had just seen a post that Michael Bilger did um, yes. from a day of vino. I'm like, this is hail netting and this is how it's attached. And, you know, Definitely. so you have to pull it up. Uh, um, you have to move it every time you want to work the vines. Yep. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun to talk to people like that, that do your job in another area. Cause it's so different. You mm-hmm. know, I remember going to Temecula and oh my goodness, if, if I ever had to move somewhere and whatever, even though California might not be the best place to move to, but, um, you know, I was, so I get, so my cousin was getting married there and we visit, there's no deer fencing. All the deer are in the mountains, you know, everything's open. Like, well, that's awesome. 
And then, so I'm in this tasting room and, you know, I've got, I do not have my farm in clothes. You know, we're on vacation and this tasting room associates doing our tasting. And I see this little door creak open and I see this dude come out with a sombrero hat on this dirty shirt. Like he's just sneaking, sneaking here, sneaking there. And it looks like he's trying to get back outside. And I go, Hey, and he's like, looks at me and I'm like, you're a vineyard guy, aren't you? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I want to come with you. Like, let's go. And totally. so he, he, we stopped there tasting. We got to go out and, and he showed us his vineyard and, um, and you know, it was just really cool. He knew the, they have very low humidity there. Um, so they're spraying their vineyards maybe twice a year, three hmm. times a year, you know, and I'm like, goodness, I would love, this would be so nice to be here. You know, and the reason I love the Fort Davis area, you know, mm-hmm. that desert climate, um, uh, it would be awesome, you know, and who knows, maybe, maybe one day I get out there, you know, well, my, if you want to be a hermit. That's a good yeah, place to be. <laughs> right. That'd be perfect. Um, you know, my wife and I, we take the kids to big bend all the time and we love that area and, and we've even talked, you know, you're driving that six hour drive back. It's like, do you think we could live there? <laughs> like, maybe not while the kids are still with us, but, but then again, you know, it's just, it is, uh, it, it would be a dream, you know, I think kind of like the Sharps, you know, I heard their story on you. It's kind of interesting how, you know, they, you, they found themselves at Blue Mountain and like, you know, it's just, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll find myself out there. You never know. Well, yeah. you've got a pretty sweet gig here. You've got a pretty great commute. That's a gator ride. I can see my house from here. <laughs> yeah. We're in the barn and um, that's been so nice. Um, and really, I do want to brag on um, Pedernales. It has been a great, great company to be with. Um, uh, David and Julie and Joanna and everyone at Pedernales has always made me feel like home. And um, it's been great. You know, I'm really excited to make Colkin Vineyards something special, you know, and, and, and it, it, the bone structure is there, you know, the trellisine is good. We've, we just replanted these plants. Um, you know, um, I'm looking at doing the sheep, you know, maybe do some bat boxes, maybe do some owl boxes, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, it's just, uh, it's going to be something neat. I want it to be a spot that people can come to and learn to, you know, maybe you're a new farmer, you know, um, I love, you know, I think now it's kind of funny. I'm kind of, a lot of us that started young and now we're in our forties, there's this passing of the baton that's kind of becoming where these older generations like Bill and Neil Newsom, Jim Comis, um, these guys that when I started, they were, you know, they were the big personalities, you know, um, now we're getting into that mode and then just like that now there's people behind us coming up and they're and it's awesome how it's younger kids Mm -hmm. and I say younger kids now but I'm talking 21 22 year olds some of these guys coming out of Texas A&M with viticulture certificate or degree enology degrees um when I first started everyone was retirement age you know everyone you know I remember talking to Pat Brennan at Brennan Vineyards and and he was the one, we hadn't even opened our tasting room at my dad's, probably 2006. Um, and he had just opened his tasting room at Brennan. And he's like, Evan, as soon as you open that tasting room, you're married to it, you know? Ooh. And it was another, and it's exactly true. We opened our tasting room. There's my weekends, you know, and, and you're farming on Mondays. And it was so true, you know? And um, I was, I think it's really fortunate to to start when I was younger. And But like I said, it is, there's a passing of the baton that's kind of going on right now. And there's a lot of us in our early 40s that will be the old guard, you know, um, and it's just cool to get in that. So I look at that. I think I think my viewpoint has changed the last, you know, I 
I always was trying to farm and do my thing and, you know, and I didn't, I didn't go out a lot and, you know, go a lot to the conventions and a lot of, you know, and, but now it's like, I'm at the point in my life. It's like, it's time to give, not even say give back, but it's time to, um, helps help the younger guard get to where we are now at our, you know, older age. So. Um, well, you're still young. Yeah, no, I am still young. That's true. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if you get some phone calls after this interview. Yeah, right. I know. That's true. <laughs> and if people want to be a part of one of your vineyard experiences, yes. um, how do they sign up for that? Yes. So um, on my website, I have um, right now, um, because of my schedule and also starting the vineyard experience at Lostra, um, I have, uh, it's just a email email me or call me and we can set a, set a time up. Um, I'd like to really do those on Sundays probably. Um, uh, I definitely could do something in the week after work, like in the, in the evenings. Um, I have a handful of people, my friends that farm in town. Uh, so we can do different sites too, you know, say if you're staying closer to high, you know, um, Chris has allowed me to show off, um, the high property, um, uh, and then other, other, uh, I've got a friend, a vintage press, Johnny Sanchez, who's just awesome. Um, uh, he's doing real good stuff. Um, he's, uh, he said, I can bring people up there all the time, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, that my website would be the best one to go okay. to all my contact. And, um, and then if you want to be part of the lost, lost draw, you go through their website for those Saturday, um, uh, vineyard experiences. So, so cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you are sharing the vineyard knowledge. Thank good, you. Good times, good stuff. Yeah. Well, Shelly, I want to thank you. And I, I told you before we started, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing for the Texas wine industry. And um, and I love listening to these stories. You really get to start knowing. You know, I see these a lot of these people that, and a lot of friends that I have been on your show. And, um, and it's so much fun to listen to. And you really get people's personalities. And and that's a big part of it. You know, it's a big part of the industry. We're all stories, you know, and we're all people and we all have personalities and, um, and it's fun to get to learn, learn that side of the people. So it's been fun. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. Yeah. Thanks, Evan. Listeners, you can find links to all of Evan's projects and social media in the show notes. And I hope you'll take him up on his offer of a vineyard experience, either through Broken Grape or his new Saturday events at Lost Jaw Johnson City. And if you were wondering what a peduncle is, I had to look it up too. The peduncle is the stem that connects the cluster to the vine. Stay tuned for demerits and gold stars. If you've found value from this podcast, I hope you'll help me out by following along on the socials. That's at Texas Wine Pod. Consider supporting the podcast with a donation. You can do that on the website, thisistexaswine.com. And while you're on the website, sign up for the podcast newsletter. It's always full of delightful Texas wine news, recommendations, and things that I just don't get to on the podcast. And finally, when you're considering lodging in Fredericksburg, check out Cork and Cactus. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath house in a great location near Main Street, and the link is in the show notes. I'm gearing up for the fall podcast season. I've got nine episodes still to come in 2023, and I need to get busy recording. I'm also seeking new sponsors for this space, both the pre-roll ads that are at the top of the show and in the middle of the podcast just before the interview. If your target market is Texas wine professionals, enthusiastic wine consumers, or just plain old Texans, we need to talk. 
Reach out to find out how to put podcast advertising to work for you. My first gold star goes out to Signor Vineyards for providing a tasting room associate who can lead the tasting in Spanish. Signor reposted a video shot by a customer who was delighted that she found a Spanish-speaking wine educator to lead a tasting for her parents. She said to ask for Enrique at Signor, and that's pretty cool. I bet there are other wineries who also can offer Spanish-language tastings, but this was the first I'd heard about it. And more gold stars go out to each of the Texas wineries that I saw participating in the Stonewall Peach Jamboree Parade. I saw La Vie Estate Winery, William Chris, Meyerstone, and the winery folks even had their huge rhino sculpture on a float. And that's it for this episode. Catch me next month for a sit-down with Amy Nimick, the new co-owner of Texas Wine Lover. Get in touch. You can send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes. You can email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com. And thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. And thank you for listening. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.